on the panel are NZ National, Anna Dean and Sowen Manning joining me, Wallace Stafford, today. Now to this first, power companies have been paying out billions more in dividends than they've been making in profits, driving up electricity prices, according to a new report. And a call for the payouts to be funneled back into building renewable generating capacity. From 2014 to 2021, contact Genesis Mercury and Meridian paid shareholders $8.7 billion in dividends, the report said. That's despite recording a total profit of just $5.35 billion over that period. Uh, it was co-authored by First Union, the Council of Trade Unions and Climate Group 315. With us is First Union Research and Policy Analyst Edward Miller. Kia ora, Edward. Kia ora, Wallace. So essentially, you're calling for an end to what you say are excess dividends? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from as you said, from 2014 to 2021, there was $3.7 billion in excess dividends paid out. That's money that could have gone into reinvesting into new generating capacity, new renewable generating capacity. We're going to have significant demand um, as we electrify transport and industry and manufacturing over the next couple of years. Uh, and we already have rising household um, power bills at the moment, particularly galling through the, the winter months to receive those bills. I think it's time for a change in approach. And they've halted decarbonisation. That's what the report also focused on. Tell us about this. Yeah, um, the fact that we're never that there's never any cash available to invest in new renewable uh, capacity means that the remaining coal and and gas uh, burning the thermal units within our electricity system uh, stay there and keep playing a more important role. By 2016, uh, coal generation had fallen down to about 404 uh, megawatts, and and by uh, five years later, it had increased fivefold. So they're becoming more important as we don't invest. We're supposed to be moving towards a sort of zero, net zero emissions approach, but the, the, the incentives aren't there and the way no. the market is set up just isn't, isn't right to do it at the moment. But the Electricity Authority last month concluded that fundamental changes to the market are not justified, and it said it was encouraged by an acceleration in the pipeline of proposed investment in new renewable generation, you know, your solar farms being discussed by overseas developers, that type of thing. So what of that? Well, I think you made the point very well. None of that new investment really is, is coming from the gentailers. As I say, or as the report says, they've, they've paid out $8.7 billion in dividends over the past, over the 2014 to 2021 period. We could have had significant investment in generation over that period, which would have dropped energy bills and which would have re- reduced reliance on coal and, and gas over that period. But instead, we chose to reward shareholders instead. Uh, that's why all of this investment is coming from outside of the Gentailers, from offshore interest, really. Oh, right. OK, very interesting stuff. Now, um, Anna Dean, uh, electricity prices, one thing is sure, they always seem to increase year on year. They don't often decrease. No, they definitely don't. And my parents have just been over in the UK for a couple of months oh. and they, they, were, they were really talking about how worried everybody is with the oh. incoming winter. So... Yeah, it's something that's definitely becoming more of a topic of conversation. And 
I guess it's this thing of how do we how do we change this mindset from these for these shareholders to actually realize that they have a responsibility for the rest of us. I mean it feels like we're we're going into this kind of degrowth territory and um I I keep thinking about the long-term stock exchange which Eric Rice who who did the uh, lean startup mentality and you know, from the tech sector with these solutions that a much longer view of these investments is needed. But I guess my question to Edward is like, how, how do we, how do we actually uh, light that match or really, really push that for these shareholders who are so used to just creaming it? Great question, and uh, the, the, the first recommendation from, from the report is, is to submit a minimum profit reinvestment target at the next shareholder meetings, or government could do it by way of policy, remembering that government still holds a 51% share of uh, Meridian, Mercury and Genesis. They, they can say that they don't want dividends anymore, they don't want record dividends anymore, they want to put the money into investment. It's a political decision, though. No, Salwin. Yeah, I think um, just coming off the back of that, and kia ora, Ed, um, for the work on this, um, I, I think there is a policy response that's required in tandem with a shareholder response, and I, I, I agree wholeheartedly on acknowledging the government as a significant shareholder. So there's two kind of avenues that can be applied there. I think if you stand back and you look at the, the mathematics of what Ed and others have brought through in this report, it's unsustainable. It's almost operating that sector like corporate raider type syndrome you know that only shareholders can really make a change on that and i think any incentive relating to creating that change should be advanced and if that is a political response as well as a policy response as well as a shareholder significant shareholder response a lot of that response, if you want to grab that word, can be led by government, whichever government we are experiencing at any given time. The only other thing, Wallace, I'd add on this is any information coming from New Zealand exported overseas that is connected with renewable energy is snapped up. It's hot property. And that is, I believe, because the rest of the world watches New Zealand in this space because it is a significant, has a significant brand in it. If we drop the baton, we're not just letting ourselves down and the aspirations of, of our, you know, of trying to get affordable um, electricity into homes and, and, and growth, but we're letting down the globe in a way too. So those things all come through from this debate, and I just want to applaud this report for having been oh, brought out into the open. All right, so quite interesting report. There. But, but yeah, you know, I'm just saying, though, uh, you have to be accountable, don't you, to your shareholder. In fact, isn't that, as a business, the first commitment? Not saying it's necessarily right, but returning a dividend is absolutely fundamental in any business. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, the dividends that we've seen over this period are well in excess of 100% of profits. It just doesn't really make sense from a business perspective that you can pay out 250% uh, dividends that are 250% of profits and then keep going at this rate. 
and then and and expect that you're you're still being loyal to your shareholders in the long term. Ultimately, you're damaging the value of of the assets, which is what kind of what Selwyn was getting at. Okay, so this is what the Electricity Retailers Association so they said this back a few months ago. All up, we're actually pretty internationally competitive. We're the eighth cheapest amongst developed countries. Not only are our prices internationally ranked, New Zealand's energy system is one of the few countries to achieve the top AAA rating across the energy. Trilemma's three metrics of supply, affordability, and sustainability. What would you say to that? I mean, it, it, it sounds lovely, but wouldn't we like to do better? I think that's very much the New Zealand way of saying, look, even if it looks good on paper and other people are applauding us, if we can poke, poke holes in the system, then why wouldn't we try and improve it? All right, good on you, Edward. Thanks. And, yeah, and final comments, and Wallace. Yeah. Ju- just on the back of that, sorry to jump in, but I I would suggest too that there's a situation that could very fast develop because of those imbalances in the dividends and the and the profit um, uh, balance there, and that would be that in two three years time, as this country approaches its 2030 goals on renewable energy being a 100% generating country then you're going to have these corporates lining up to government, irrespective of what party is leading it, saying, well, you want to meet that goal, you've got to cough up, where's your handout? And that kind of corporate welfare is irresponsible. Very good. Power Prize of this afternoon, that was first, new report, uh, and that was Edward Miller there, the first union researcher and policy analyst, uh, saying... Um, there are excess dividends in that sector. Well, turning to the midterm election results in the United States, Democrats are celebrating retaining control of the Senate with the victory of Senator Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada. Her victory means Democrats will keep at least their 50-50 majority in the Senate, where Vice President Kamala Harris holds the tie-breaking vote, vote rather for the party. And that red... At that Sorry, that Republic red wave that was touted widely in the media. Red wave rising. That is the focus of tonight's angle. It's, it's going to be a wave election politics. and you're going to lose the Senate. Wave. I'll bet you $1,000 right now. The knives are being sharpened right now for Joe Biden. Wait, you know, Democrats are going to get crushed on November 8th because a red wave is coming. But I'm betting that Joy will learn two new words on Tuesday. It's red wave. How big could that looming red wave get? We begin this Sunday morning with expectations of a red wave. Well, that red wave didn't happen. David Smith is from the United States Studies Centre at the University of New South Wales, expert in American politics and foreign policy. David Kiora, and thanks for being with us again. Good afternoon. How do you see the results? And were you expecting this? No, I wasn't expecting Republicans to do this poorly in this election. Not only have Democrats retained the Senate, which they were always a reasonably good chance to do, we can't even definitively say that Republicans have won the House of Representatives yet. And that was definitely not something that I was expecting. In these midterm elections, on average, the opposition party picks up about 28 seats. So far, Republicans haven't even uh, definitively picked up six. So this is a massive underperformance by historical standards. Another very unusual thing about this election is that below the the level of Congress, at the level of states, uh, Democrats have won a surprising number of governor's races. They have won state congressional races 
And it's the first time since 1934 that the President's Party has actually made net gains at the state level like this. So this is a really either historic overperformance by Democrats (laughs) or underperformance by Republicans. <laughs> yeah, and, and our panel of Sal and, and Anna will have um, thoughts or questions for you, David. But look, um, Donald Trump, what challenges does this now present the Republican Party? Some have said with Trump, the party had or has become too extreme, too conspiratorial. Yeah, I think that was reflected in these results. This is one of the first elections in ages where independents have not voted overwhelmingly with the opposition party. And I think that that reflects, first of all, some of the candidates were very low quality, as uh, the Republican leader Mitch McConnell warned, especially those who sought Trump's endorsement by amplifying his claims about the 2020 election, but also that the fact that Trump is still the face of the party and he's still always talking about himself, always talking about his grievances from 2020. And as much as Republicans didn't want that to dominate the election, it did. Of course, the other issue that dominated the election to the detriment of Republicans was abortion. A lot of Republicans took really extreme positions on banning abortion outright um, after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. The fact that the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade once more comes back to Trump. It was that conservative supermajority that Trump installed in the Supreme Court that did it. So Trump's fingerprints are all over this defeat. Right, very interesting. Anna Dean, your thoughts on uh, this uh, rather extraordinary um, midterm election result? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic for women and, and um, girls around the United States. I mean, what what a relief for so many people that, that it was answered in this way. I just had a question around um, people, well, particularly Fetterman getting in in Pennsylvania and this this reality that he attracted um, the white working class voters again, dressed, you know, in his hoodies, looking like an everyday man. And I'm just Optically, I mean, what are the optics around that? It feels like quite yeah. a difference and a shift. Probably, I mean, there's but, no. But, but, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah the, hoodie wearing, uh, the hoodie wearing uh, a yeah. Democrat. You stay there, David. Let's bring in Sowen as well. Yeah, yeah probably the answer to that is. Okay, Sowen first, and then David. Sowen. Okay, yeah, Fetterman, for example, you know, a survivor of a stroke. Um, he was ridiculed by his opponent, um, who was a, an online doctor. Um, and obviously that went down like a bucket of sick. But if you look at what David was saying, I agree totally that it looks certain that the results come down to candidate quality. And frankly, the mega candidates appeared like a dangerous joke. For example, you know, ex voters responded in this way. 30 of Trump's endorsed mega candidates lost. And clearly a significant proportion of the US voters, even in mega-leaning states, it had a guts full of Trumpism, Bannonism, and what it represents. So getting down to it, you know, traditionally and historically, you see the midterms, particularly for the, the first year of an incumbent, being a test on that administration and the White House and how their party, their party is operating. This became a test of whether or not the American public, those independents that David re- re- referred to, are supportive of Donald Trump's make America great again type politics or whether or not within that that whole sphere they'd had enough and it seems very clear that the response is they have had enough. David? Yeah, and to go back to Fetterman, 
as you said, he had a stroke. And because of that stroke, he had difficulty uh, talking, difficulty responding in debates. It's really interesting that, if anything, people seem to have sympathised with that. And in fact, one of the lessons that we've learned from both Donald Trump, even though he's on the way now, and Joe Biden, is that Americans don't necessarily want a candidate who can talk at a million miles an hour in language that seems like it's above them. And I think Fetterman, his stroke might have made him even more sympathetic and, uh, and more human. I absolutely agree with Selwyn on there really is just this enough factor in American politics at the moment. Republicans never seriously evaluated why they lost in 2020 because they were all going along with Trump's line that they didn't really lose. And so over the last couple of years, they've just been getting more and more extreme because they assumed that they were going to win this election as they were historically likely to do. They really brought the freak flag out. You had Republican candidates for Secretary of State openly saying that they would ensure that Trump got elected again in 2024. And people were just saying enough. And there are all kinds of races that Republicans just should have won under the historical circumstances, but they didn't. One final thing that's worth mentioning is inflation was supposed to play a huge role in this election, and it doesn't seem to have played such a role. The difference between inflation and abortion is an issue, is abortion is directly controlled by the government. Abortion rights are directly set by legislators in law. Uh, Inflation, there are potentially things that the government can do about it, but they don't directly control it in the same way. It appears that on the abortion issue, people knew that they were voting for legislators that had direct control over the issue, whereas inflation, yeah, it's something the government doesn't really control. Great to have you with us again, David. Thank you so much again. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's David Smith there. Very interesting analysis there. He's from the the United States Studies Centre uh, at the University of New South Wales. Uh, Anna Dean and Sowan Manning with me Monday afternoon. Thanks for being with us uh, today. Uh, a completely different topic. It is always a buzz being part of a school production. I mentioned earlier that I was in Alice in Wonderland. I was that um, hashish smoking caterpillar um, and I, th- I think it was dry ice. I was 11 years old. It wasn't hashish so I just want to sort of get that on the record nationwide um, and um, my little wee story was that I blew, I, I blew smoke into Alice's face um, when she needs assistance and, uh, and he ignores her but I blew too much smoke in her face and she went into a coughing fit and I almost <laughs> derailed uh, the whole production. It wasn't a good time in Nelson. Um, but the kids at Palmerston North Intermediate Normal School won't be forgetting their School of Rock musical last week with this message. Palmerston North Intermediate Normal. It's me, Jack Black. I heard you were doing School of Rock. Are you doing School of Rock? That rules. Hey, you rule the school, and you rock the block. And I just wanted to wish you luck. I wanted to send you good vibes and rock and roll spirit. Go get it. How amazing is that? With us is teacher, musical director, and production manager of the show, Mr. Barry Jones. Barry, kia ora. Kia ora. How about that? 
Tell us uh, when you first found out you were getting a message from Jack Black about your production. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I knew about five days ahead of it happening and had to keep it a secret from everyone, (laughs) um, which was probably the hardest thing I'd ever have to do in my life, actually, that it was going to happen. Mm. And how did it come about? Um, Well, actually, one of the parents of one of the students in our production, a friend of theirs, had been Jack Black's um, personal secretary when he was out here filming one of the movies that he did, um, it might have been King Kong, I think, but um, they'd remained friends ever since. So when we were doing School of Rock, this parent um, contacted their friend and said, hey, is there any possibility that you could try and make something like this happen? And um, and obviously Jack Black was quite happy to do that for us. Um, and so we played it to the kids about 10 minutes before they went out on stage oh. on the night, um, which got them really excited, obviously. And we also played it to the audience. So even our principal didn't know it was going to happen until he saw it playing ahead of the, the show opening, um, you know, like just before the overture played. So it was Barry, pretty exciting. Barry, unbelievable. We're talking about a production, uh, School of Rock, uh, in Palmerston North. And it just comes back to that notion of how special and how cool South and Manning are school productions. Was there a production that you were in? I was, Wallace. Uh, uh, I was uh, about five years old, so Prima 1, whatever we called it back yeah. then. The, uh, the, progr- uh, the, the show, end of the year kind of gig it was, um, something in the Seven Dwarves, and I can reveal I played <laughs> Happy. Oh. <laughs> You heard so it here first. Sowan Man's Manning's first media role was Happy um, in, <laughs> as a five-year-old. What about you, Anna? Well, I was actually, uh, similar to you, I was in, the, in um, Alice in Wonderland, but I played the Queen of Hearts. Mm. But my first role at primary school, I actually got to play like a mix-up of the Fonz from Happy Days, um, wearing a leather jacket and, and a BMX, coming into um, the leader of the pack, you know, that Shangri-La song. <laughs> and I just thought I was so cool. At that time, I was about seven, and I think I peaked at primary school. Yeah. That was, yeah, if you're, that was a if you're a sponsor, here, my brother played Buffalo Bill and Annie Get Your Gun at Hill Morton High to rave reviews. But it, it, it speaks to something about us, doesn't it, Barry? Um, the kids find it so rewarding to be part of a um, theatre production at school, don't they? Oh, yes, I think it's something that, that most of us, you know, we, 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 we remember it all of our lives when we do mm. um, school productions. Those, those things that stick with us and those things that we probably tell our kids about as we grow up as well, um, particularly when our kids get into, you know, school productions as well. So, yeah, they're pretty meaningful. Um, you know, it's, it's usually a highlight of, of the year, I think, for performing arts kids. Do you do one a year, one every two years? Every two years. Yeah. We'd probably kill all the teachers if we tried it every year. <laughs> we, do, it's, we do it on a pretty big scale. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's pretty major what, what we it? do at Pinnan. So, yeah, every second year. We were supposed to do School of Rock last year, but, of course, with that second lockdown, it threw the kibosh on things. So we recast again at the beginning of this year and had another attempt, and this time we got it past the finishing post. Good on you, Barry. And how did it go? Oh, very well, yeah. We had great houses, great audience response. Uh, I think the, the cool thing about School of Rockers is that the band and Dewey, they play their numbers live on stage, which is pretty special when you've got, you know, um, 12 and 13-year-old kids playing, making their own music as well as, as singing. So it's a pretty special show if, if you're into music, for sure. Fantastic stuff. Well done, Barry, and thanks for being part of the programme today.